guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing so good. It's a Saturday. We're recording on a Saturday, which is so unusual for us. It is. It's, yeah, it's unusual and it puts a lot of stress on me, but we'll get it all edited and ready for Tuesday. (laughs) I'm sure it will be just fine and it will go off without a hitch, hopefully. So I don't think we have anything to talk about this at the top of the episode this week. So we are just going to jump right into the case, which is quite a bananas case, if you ask me. B-A-N-A-N-A-S, in the words of Gwen Stefani. Yeah, also you didn't ask me, but um, it is crazy, so (laughs) we're just going to get right into it. So we're talking today about Betsy Faria. She was the youngest of three sisters, but being the baby of the family actually did not slow her down at all. She was very strong-willed and lively and was what some would call a social butterfly. When she was 18 years old, she took a job as a DJ and her outgoing personality shined through. She had the ability to make anybody get out on the dance floor and she knew how to set the mood for a fun night of dancing. Betsy eventually began a relationship that produced two daughters named Leah and Mariah, but her relationship with their father ended and Betsy became a single mother. That is, until Russ Faria walked into her life. He was exactly the type of man that Betsy was attracted to with his very outgoing personality and his big heart. She was drawn to his happy spirit and his ability to make her laugh and turn anything into a joke. The couple quickly fell in love and encouraged each other to follow their dreams, and it wasn't long before Russ became a father figure to Betsy's two little girls. Their life was perfect, and the couple married in January of 2000. They started their life together in Troy, Missouri, which is about an hour outside of St. Louis, and we're going to tell you a little bit about this area in this week's segment of We Googled This City. So Troy is a city in Missouri, as Mandy said, and as of the 2010 census, the population was 10,540, and I'm really trying here, guys, but once again, there weren't a ton of facts in Troy, so we cast our net a little further, and we are going to talk a little about St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis is home to some well-known people in American history, like the poet Maya Angelou, and also the king of whatever country grammar is, Nellie, and (laughs) nine-time Grammy Award winner Sheryl Crow. And let the record state that I am Team Sheryl, always and forever, so Lance Armstrong can go soak up the sun somewhere else on his stupid bike. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still bitter about that whole thing, and... He he's really hurt us all with that. When you think of St. Louis, you may think of its beautiful stainless steel gateway arch, which opened in 1965, which actually is not very long ago, or I'm just getting really, really old, as a monument to Thomas Jefferson's Louisiana Purchase and St. Louis's role in the opening of the American West. St. Louis was the first American city to host the Olympics, and that took place in 1904. In that same year, at the St. Louis World Fair, the ice cream cone was accidentally invented. How does one accidentally invent an ice cream cone, no one asked? Well, at the fair, an ice cream vendor was apparently a really poor planner and did not bring enough cups to the World Fair, the freaking World Fair he was not prepared for. (laughs) And when he realized he had no other cups, he found the guy there that made waffles, who may or may not be related to Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec, and asked him to roll up his waffle to use to hold ice cream in. And thus, ice cream cones were invented. Can you imagine actually getting ready for this fair and not bringing enough for like the one thing you have? Like I have a lot yeah. of ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I but didn't like bring enough that's like the best happy accident ever though, like to discover ice cream cones or to make them I'd like I'd like that. to encourage people that are poor planners. I want you to fail like me. My mistakes <laughs> just breed more mistakes. I'm like the 
Energizer Bunny of mistakes. For example, this Google, this city, I just keep going and going and going. Take it over, Mandy. All right. (laughs) So through the years, the couple had their ups and downs just like any couple does. They had once even hit a rough patch that left them living separately for a short period of time, but their marriage was rekindled after Betsy began attending a church that she loved, and she invited Russ to come tag along with her. The struggling couple heard the pastor preach a series on marriage, and they recommitted to each other, and they said that they fell in love all over again. But there was unfortunately some more bad news on the horizon. By December of 2009, Betsy had become suspicious and she feared that she may have breast cancer. And in January of 2010, she had those fears confirmed. Being the fighter that she was, she was not about to let the cancer slow her down and she continued to live an active lifestyle and maintained a positive attitude throughout her treatment. One of her favorite things to do was actually to play tennis. And so she was on a tennis team and she would play with a lot of her friends and she kept doing that um, even though she was going through this cancer treatment. In the winter of 2010, the couple received some good news, and that was that Betsy's cancer was in remission. They were absolutely delighted. They celebrated this triumph by booking a Caribbean cruise and inviting all of their friends and family to come and kind of do this celebration of life of Betsy's. Unfortunately, before the cruise even set sail, Betsy's cancer returned, and this time it had actually spread to her liver. She was told that the cancer was inoperable, and her prognosis was pretty dim. They told her that she may only have three to five years left to live. But in true Betsy fashion, she refused to let this devastating news break her spirit and the cruise vacation still went off without a hitch. She was able to complete one of her lifelong dreams, which was to swim with dolphins, and the couple viewed this vacation kind of as a second honeymoon. Throughout Betsy's cancer treatments, one of her old friends from the past had stepped it up and become very close with Betsy, and her name was Pamela Hupp. The two of them had met years prior while working for State Farm, and they were actually not even close in age. There was 11 years between them, but they had enough similarities that, you know, were able to draw them closer as friends. Pam had been raised in a Catholic household with her three siblings, and her mother was a teacher while her father worked for Union Electric. Pam had a typical childhood and was known as always being ready for a fun time and steering clear of drama. She did not have the best grades in high school, but that was largely because she was very preoccupied with boys and would rather spend her time making relationships than she would on doing her schoolwork. She had met an athletic boy that caught her eye and developed a relationship that soon led to a surprise pregnancy. So while her high school friends were going off to college, she was getting married and preparing for the birth of her daughter. The marriage only lasted six years, and Pam then divorced and married her second husband, Mark Hupp, who was a minor league baseball player, and this new couple had a child of their own in 1989. In 2001, they settled down in O'Fallon, Missouri, and went into a side business of buying and selling houses. And this was around the same time that Pam took the job at State Farm, where she met Betsy. The friends eventually lost touch for several years, but when Pam got word about Betsy's breast cancer, she popped back up and was ready to offer her support however she could. She accompanied Betsy to her cancer treatments, and she was there for whatever Betsy needed. Pam did not go on the cruise with the family, but she was waiting for her when she got back. It's unclear what led to what happened next, but for some reason, upon returning from the cruise, Betsy and Pam went to a library with Betsy's life insurance paperwork in hand on December 23, 2011. The two of them asked a librarian on staff if she could witness Betsy's signature on a change of beneficiary form. She was changing the beneficiary of her life insurance policy from her husband, Russ, to Pam. That is kind of unusual. 
Yeah, very unusual. And, you know, she obviously knows things are not going well in her treatment. So, you know, this isn't just like appeasing somebody. This is like, I think this is going to happen and you're going to take over and I trust you. And her poor husband has no idea any of this is going on. So really, really weird. According to Pam, Betsy wanted to have this done because she did not trust her husband with the money and feared that he would squander it all away when she was gone. She allegedly wanted to make Pam the sole beneficiary so she could ensure that her two daughters would be financially provided for and taken care of. And then just days later on December 27th, Betsy's life was cut short, but it had nothing to do with her cancer. Betsy's husband, Russ, returned home from an evening of watching movies at a friend's house, which was something he did every Tuesday night, and he found Betsy's lifeless body on their living room floor. At first glance, Russ thought that maybe Betsy was just not feeling well, but as he got closer, he was able to make out that she had blood pooling around her neck and head. He quickly assessed the scene and noticed that his wife still had one of their kitchen knives, sorry guys, sticking out of her neck, as well as numerous cuts on her wrist. Russ frantically dialed 911 at 9.40 p.m. and screamed into the phone that his wife had killed herself. He believed that she had taken her own life due to the mounting fear of losing her battle with cancer and that he recalled that she had actually cut her wrist before in a suicide attempt. By the time first responders arrived on the scene, Betsy's body had already set in with rigor mortis, and they determined that Betsy had been dead for over an hour. The cuts to her wrist and throat were not the only wounds that the paramedics found. In fact, there were over... 55 stab wounds on Betsy's body that Russ had not seen because they were concealed under her clothing. It's just so much. Yeah, it's horrifying. It's, it is. All of this was immediately suspicious, and those suspicions fell directly onto Russ and his story. The EMS supervisor knew for a fact that this was not a case of death by suicide and that this was a very personal homicide. From that moment on, Russ's actions were under great scrutiny. Everything he did appeared suspicious to police, such as being visibly upset but not actually crying, appearing to be in a state of panic, and even making small talk and laughing with one officer on the scene that he had grown up with. That's got to be so hard. Yeah. Because how – I and I feel like you hear this a lot when they are like the way this person was acting made them look like they were guilty of a crime, even though they don't mm -hmm. really have all the answers at this point or they don't really know what's going on. But it just always makes me so scared in those situations or, um, you know, even just talking to the police, even about like regular things. I'm always wondering, like, if they think I'm lying to them, you know, because I feel like you hear that a lot, like that this the people are not acting the way you know, whoever you the think powers they that, should. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's like really, really frustrating. And I feel like, you know, for them saying that, you know, he was having this conversation with this officer that he knew, you know, that he was a, a kid with and grew up with. And that, you know, just because in that, you know, in those moments, like he may have had like a little bit of, you know, I don't know how you explain it, but to say that like, oh, well, he must be guilty because of that. Like, it's just very, I don't know, rubs me yeah. the wrong way. Well, the longer we've done this, the more I think about that because it's very easy to look at like a 911 call and listen to it and say, oh, yeah, no, that person's not reacting how they should. I have a very weird personality. And so this kind of stuff terrifies me because I don't react in a way I should. I'm crazy calm in bad situations and I joke really a lot whenever I'm uncomfortable. And so if anything ever happened to anyone in my immediate vicinity, I'm going to look so guilty. I winked at an officer when he was at my house about <laughs> cars being like, and just didn't even think about it. But like, I, I just, that I have nervous energy. So I don't know. So whenever I hear about this stuff, I'm like, I hate whenever 
the immediate suspicion. I get why the immediate suspicion is the spouse, but I hate whenever it's so like, oh, it's because he he couldn't really cry. Well, he could be in shock. You know, they had yeah. a lot of stress in their lives. There's a lot going on. And it takes a while for these things to set in. But everyone handles things differently. So it's always important to um, realize. So he was actually taken to the police station, interrogated for 10 hours and asked to take a polygraph test, which he agreed to. But when detectives said that he had actually failed the polygraph, the tone became immediately accusatory and they began to insist that Russ had actually murdered his wife and he needed to confess. He told the police that he had a solid alibi and that several of his friends could confirm that he was with him that evening. According to Russ's statements to detectives, Betsy had a chemo appointment earlier that day and had plans to visit her mom soon afterwards. Russ was supposed to actually pick Betsy up at her mom's house and give her a ride home, but when he called her to see if she was ready to be picked up, she allegedly told him that she didn't need a ride because her friend was going to be bringing her home. That friend was Pamela Hupp. Russ told Betsy that he would stop at the store and pick up dog food and cigarettes and that he would see her later that night after hanging out with the guys. What Russ didn't know is that detectives had already spoken to Betsy's friends, including Pam, and she had quite a story for them about Russ and Betsy's marriage that did not exactly line up with a picture that Russ had painted himself. And there is so much more to this story. Oh my gosh, so much more to this story. So please stick around after a quick word from this week's sponsors. Life is always moving so quickly, and because of that, I find it increasingly difficult to take care of myself. I've done lots of different get healthy quick things, but nothing sticks. And to get different results, I really need to try a different approach. I grew up in an age where everyone's mom was always on a diet, and I don't want that to be a memory for my daughter. I want to learn how to eat better and not to diet. I want to try something different, and that something is Noom. Noom is an app that helps you take control of your choices. Noom is designed with you in mind and works to help you make healthier choices. One of the ways I fall victim to poor choices is when I'm out to eat, but Noom takes the agony out of food tracking by having one of the biggest food databases available. You can track your meal habits, visualize portion sizes, which can be a struggle, and see the calorie density at a glance. And best of all, Noom doesn't say that you can't have certain foods, aka the good stuff. It just helps teach you about moderation. When you do go a little overboard, which we all do, there is no shaming you, but you do get tips on how to get back on track tomorrow, which is super helpful. Sometimes when you make a mistake in healthy eating, it's so easy to just give up, but Noom is here to encourage you and not to discourage. I'm working on learning how to eat in moderation, and I'm not kidding you. I was so stressed out a few weeks ago that I ate four giant boxes of lemon heads in a 24-hour period. It was mindless, and I do that sort of thing a lot. I've recently had some health issues that have truly made me look at everything I eat. With Noom, I'm able to achieve sticking to a healthier lifestyle. I'm hoping long-term that I'll be able to make better choices, not because I'm on some sort of diet, but because my body feels better when I'm treating it right. I love my goal specialist with Noom and I appreciate when she checks in on me via messages. So I feel like I have someone in my corner cheering me on when I make healthier choices or encouraging me when I'm having a rough day. Noom is designed for results. It's out with the old habits, in with the new. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash moms. Visit noom.com slash moms to start your trial today. Again, that's noom.com slash moms. Start losing weight for good. Bra buying is one of those chores that needs to be done, but you keep moving to the bottom of the list because who on earth wants to go in and get fitted for a bra? That's only slightly better than just grabbing a size at random in a big box store and hoping for the best. Skip the trip to the store and find your perfect fit with Third Love's online fit finder, where you can order and try your bra on at home. If you're looking for a better way 
the best way to buy your next bra, check out Third Love. Third Love has a Fit Finder quiz that over 12 million real women have taken as of today, so you know they are taking real women's sizes into account. Third Love uses data points generated by the millions of women that have taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. Third Love also offers more sizes than most other brands, over 70 in fact, which includes their signature half cup sizes. The Fit Finder quiz is actually fun and took me just under a minute to finish. When I finished the quiz, I knew I had the most accurate sizing and bra types to pick from that are best for me. The great thing is Third Love has a team of expert fit stylists that are dedicated to help you find the perfect fit. I love the first bra that Third Love sent me so much, I went online and grabbed a second one. The fit stylists at Third Love are available every day to help you via phone, chat, or better yet, text. We've heard from several of our listeners who have tried and love Third Love. One of our listeners bought a bra that didn't quite fit her as she hoped, but she was in luck. Every Third Love customer has 60 days to wear their new bra, wash it, and put it to the test. And if you don't like it, then you can return it, and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need, which is exactly what they did for her. So there's really nothing to lose. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they are offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash murder now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove, spelled out T-H-I-R-D-L-O-V-E dot com slash murder for 15% off today. And now back to the episode. So before we took the break, we were talking about Pamela Hupp talking to the police and giving her version of events or her account of the story of what she had known about Russ and Betsy's marriage. She gave them actually a very scary account of Russ and what she thought that he would be capable of. And she said that she was Betsy's best friend and therefore she had this important intel on her day-to-day life and her marriage. So according to Pam, Russ was not supportive and he was not this doting husband that he claimed to be. And in fact, he was very emotionally abusive and had a quick temper. She told the police that she had once heard Russ bragging about how much money he would have after Betsy died and that she had personally witnessed some of his uh, emotional outbursts. Additionally, she told the investigators that Russ liked to play this sick game with Betsy where he would put a pillow over her head and say absolutely terrible things to her, such as, this is what it will feel like when you die. Whoa. Yeah. Pam explained to the police that she even knew a possible motive that Russ could have had for the murder. Apparently, Betsy had allegedly confided in Pam that she wanted to move back to St. Louis and live with her mom, which was something that she was thinking of doing to save money and also so that she would be closer to where she was going to get her chemo treatments. The tennis team that I talked about earlier was also located in St. Louis, so she wanted to be a little bit closer to have easier access to that. Pam said that Betsy had planned on breaking the news to Russ about wanting to move that night, but had allegedly told Pam that she knew her husband would be furious and was not going to take kindly to this idea. The detectives believed that this was an open and shut case. They believed Pam's story and they believed that Russ had murdered Betsy in cold blood. Other evidence found at the scene would seem to suggest that they were right in their theory, such as that Betsy's blood was found on a light switch in the couple's bedroom and a pair of Russ's slippers was found in the home that also had Betsy's blood on them. But there was still a major, major problem with this theory. Russ had an alibi, and it was a pretty airtight one at that. Four different witnesses could confirm that he was, in fact, with them at the time that Betsy was stabbed. 
Russ's friend, Michael Corbin, had been hosting the guys game night that week, and he confirmed that it was the weekly tradition to get together and hang out on Tuesday nights. He and his wife, Angie, told police that Russ arrived at their home at around 6 p.m., and he was there watching movies and dozing off on their couch until 9 p.m., which is the time that everybody left, and that was the time, typically, that they would always wrap up their game night. Police were also able to obtain surveillance footage that proved that Russ had made a stop for gas at 5.15 p.m., and they also found a receipt that showed that he had stopped to buy the dog food and the cigarettes before arriving at Mike's house. Cell phone records confirm that Russ was in the area that he claimed to be that night. And what's more is that he stopped by an Arby's after leaving his friend's home and they found the receipt for that Arby's purchase in his car and it was timestamped for 9.09 p.m. He then made the 30-minute drive home and discovered that his wife had been brutally murdered and dialed 911 at 9.40 p.m. So the timeline of Russ's actions clearly showed that there was absolutely no way he could have committed this crime, but yet the detectives were insistent that he had done it based on the results of his polygraph test, as well as the details given to them by Pamela Hupp. So it wasn't long before Russ was placed in handcuffs and officially arrested for the murder of Betsy. That just doesn't even make sense. Like, how yeah. on earth can you prove something like that? Like, he he did go to all these places. Right. I know one thing they thought was suspicious at one point is that he went to two different stores. Like he got gas at one place and then cigarettes and dog food at another place. And so if you're trying to prove like, oh, I was here and I was here, why wouldn't you go to just one place? But I get that. There's some places that I'd rather like get gas at if I need gas, but I don't necessarily want to go in that store and I would rather drive to another store. So to me, that makes sense. But I also get how like if you're trying to create an alibi and prove like get on all the cameras, yeah, you would divide up your stops and have several of them. Or he's just like my husband and stops 50,000 times. When the news hit the media, Russ was painted in a very dark light and many quotes made by Pam were actually plastered all across the headlines. Pam had told the police that she had dropped Betsy off at home at around 7 p.m. on the night of the murder and then she drove herself home where she watched TV, took a shower, and went to bed. She made a point to tell police that she was very concerned about leaving Betsy that night because she feared what Russ would do when Betsy told him of her plan. She also stated that the Faria house looked, quote, creepy that night because it was dark and she had allegedly seen a silver Nissan Maxima parked nearby that she was sure Russ was inside of. At first, Pam said she never went inside the house, but then she backtracked her story a little later and said that she did go into Betsy's home and even went back into Betsy's bedroom with her so that she could see the new jewelry cabinet that Russ had given Betsy for Christmas. I also found that to be a little bit weird that you're you're hate this man so much and trying to leave and then you're like, oh, come see the jewelry box he gave me for Christmas. She said that she tried to call to check in on Betsy at around 7.30 p.m., but Betsy didn't answer and she didn't call her back. Another strange piece of information that Pam had for the police was that she somehow knew about this letter that Betsy had drafted on her laptop. Allegedly, this letter, you know, there was this intent to send this letter to Pam In this letter, Betsy outlined how terrified she was of her husband. So it's on Betsy's computer. She's saying to the police, it's on Betsy's computer. I know she was writing me this email. Can you please look for it? So she keeps telling detectives, find this thing. You know, she was writing me. I know she was writing it. Uh, It wasn't sent, but I I know she was writing this mysterious letter. So when Betsy's cousin Mary heard about the murder and the fact that Russ was on the hook for it, she just could not believe it. She had seen the couple days before for Christmas celebrations, and they were clearly super happy, laughing, and snuggling up on the couch together. 
She was really sure that Russ had nothing to do with this and vowed to help him as much as she could, becoming one of Russ's only advocates. And I thought that was pretty incredible for it to be Betsy's family. Yeah. Siding with the person the police are saying has done this. Well, because Betsy's mom and sisters, like, they they thought Russ did it. Like, they were on board with the police's theory. So he really didn't have a lot of support, you know, behind him, especially not coming from Betsy's side of the family. So I'm right. sure that meant a lot to him that somebody at least, like, stood up and said, you know, like, this doesn't really sound right, you know, considering his alibi and everything that he has. So, yeah, yeah you know. So the cousin hired an attorney for him named Joel Schwartz, who read through these police reports and was immediately astounded that the police were not looking at Pamela Hupp as a suspect. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. The facts of the matter were that Pam Hupp was the last known person to see Betsy alive, and there was the very strange situation in which four days earlier, Betsy had signed over her life insurance policy to Pam. Those things were strange enough without taking into account that Pam's story was inconsistent, and it really changed every time she told it. And the real kicker was that she did not have an alibi anyone can approve. She went home, she took a shower, she watched TV. None of that can be proved, which is why, dear God, never let me be accused of a crime because that would be my alibi. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Somehow, in spite of all of this, prosecutors doubled down on their accusations against Russ and even claimed that his friends were in on this murder plot. This part of the story just frustrated me to absolutely no end. I... I just, I was very ragey. During Russ's trial in November of 2013, the prosecutors played the 911 tape for the jury and persuaded them to believe that Russ was putting on an act and that the panic in his voice was just all part of his plan to get away with this murder. They alleged that Russ's plan to appear to have an alibi was very elaborate and that he killed his wife before intentionally appearing on these surveillance cameras, as you said before, at these local stores, and he was just doing that to cover his tracks. The most infuriating part of it for me, this theory, was that these four men that Russ had spent the evening with had supposedly helped him carry out this homicide, not only by lying for him, but also for keeping his cell phone with them while he went home, killed his wife, and then they took his phone back to his house for him, stopping at Arby's along the way to get a receipt for him just to help further this alibi. This is... This is accusing a lot of people of doing a lot of things. Right. That's a lot of people whose names are getting drugged through the mud and conspiring to murder somebody for what reason like it doesn't make any sense no no definitely not so of course pam hupp was also put on the stand during this trial to tell her story about what she claimed to know about betsy and russ's marital problems and russ's temper pam had been coached by the prosecuting attorneys prior to taking the stand and in one recorded interview she actually made this very bizarre statement about how $150,000 of life insurance money wasn't even that much to her and that if she was going to kill someone for money, she would kill her mom because she was worth half a million dollars. Who says something like that? Yeah. So the attorneys were concerned also because even though Pam had actually gotten the check for the life insurance and cashed it in, that she had not set up a trust for Betsy's daughters. Keep in mind now we're at trial time. So this has been a few, this has been a couple of years and she still has not put this money in a trust for these girls right. like she was that which was supposedly the whole entire plan. So the attorneys actually told her that she needed to set up this trust as soon as possible, preferably before the trial began so that she would not look suspicious if this information came out. Hello, I just feel like if you have to tell someone to do something to not right. look suspicious, 
it's suspicious. <laughs> well, yeah, and like the whole idea is you're you were put in charge of taking care of these girls, and if you really believe that the husband did these things, you're going to honor Betsy's wishes and get that done. That's like the first thing you do. You literally get the check and you go to the bank same day. There's no <laughs> time off in between. Like you want to honor her memory and you want to do what's right. Period. Right. Yeah, exactly. So unfortunately, the judge ruled that the jury would not be allowed to hear any of these details about Pam obtaining the life insurance money, which very much frustrated Russ's defense team because it was such a big red flag in the case. And they felt that it was extremely important for the jury to hear about this. Yeah. Near the end of the trial, Joel Schwartz asked Pam privately why she took so long to set the trust up for the girls, and she informed him that her mother had recently died of Alzheimer's. This is the same mother that allegedly had a half-million-dollar life insurance policy that Pam was supposed to gain access to in the event of her death. The defense was adamant that the story presented by the prosecution was not how the evening unfolded and that an innocent man had been charged with murder. They pointed out that even though they had found blood on Russ's slippers, there wasn't any evidence that he had actually walked through the house and walked around in blood. So their explanation was that someone had staged the scene to make it look incriminating for Russ. Russ's lawyers also provided evidence that Pam was not in the locations that she said she was that night. When she had made that phone call at 7.27 p.m. to call and check on Betsy, she claimed that it was to tell her that she had made it home safe. But records showed that her phone had pinged on a tower that was within three miles of Betsy's home, which was a half an hour away from her own home where she claimed that she was calling from. It took the jury less than five hours to return a verdict. Russ was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. The guilty verdict was crushing to Russ and his defense team as they felt that they had compelling evidence to prove that he had not committed this crime and, in fact, that the evidence pointed to another person entirely. You would think this is where we would be ending this episode because typically this is where we end the episode at the trial, but unfortunately there is so much more to this story and this wild ride is not over yet. But before we get into it, we are going to take one more quick break for another word from this week's sponsors. I am coming home from vacation this week, which means I have been eating restaurant food all week and I'm starting to feel like pizza rat. Thankfully this week, I have HelloFresh meals coming my way. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that does all the meal planning, all the shopping, and all the dreaded prepping so you can focus on a healthier you and a happier family. Best of all, the meals come together in just 30 minutes max and they call for less than two pots and pans, which requires minimal cleanup. Of course, less work is the dream we all have for our lives. Delicious plus easy equals perfection. We are huge fans of the family dinners that help make meals fuss-free with HelloFresh's picky eater, kid-tested, and approved family plan recipes. If the family plan isn't for you, that's okay. HelloFresh has three plans to choose from, classic, veggie, and the family plan we were telling you about. You can also swap between the plans as you go along whenever your taste buds want to change. You can also enjoy fun menu features with HelloFresh's dinner to lunch, 20-minute meals, gourmet, and one-pot wonders, and more. My favorite, favorite part of HelloFresh is the not thinking. Listen, I'm a bright girl, but you know what I hate doing after a full day of making up answers as to how the world works? Planning dinner. But give me all the ingredients and colored photos with instruction cards on how to make it, and I'm your girl. And you can't beat the delicious meals you get from HelloFresh. 
One of my absolute favorites is the pork bulgogi meatballs with carrots and zucchini over rice. The sauce is perfect on the meatballs, but tastes equally as delicious with the veggies and the rice. For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomsAndMurder80 and enter MomsAndMurder80. Again, for $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomsAndMurder80 and enter code MomsAndMurder80. Congratulations, you're engaged. Now what? Well, for starters, you can be doing what over 500,000 couples have already done and use Zola to make planning your wedding and registering super easy. I perused Zola's website the other day, and my goodness, the ease of this site. You new brides and grooms have it so easy. Back in the day, there was no easy all-in-one website. We had to snail mail people information and hope they didn't just throw it away like a bunch of jabronis. Zola has everything covered all in one place. Plus, it's jabroni-free. When you're newly engaged, it's hard to know where to start. But with Zola, you can create a free wedding website that's so easy, it just takes minutes to set up. And you can choose from over 100 wedding website designs that are sure to fit any couple's unique style. You can also add your Zola registry on your wedding website so guests can get the details they need and are able to buy your wedding gift in one convenient and beautiful place. When your registry is easy to use and find, you're 95% less likely to get a second toaster from your Uncle Stanley. Plus, your guests will love free shipping and returns, price matching, and more. When my husband and I got married years ago, we had guests come from all over. Because not everyone's in the same place, we had to register at a ton of different stores so everyone could find something. Zola would have made this so much easier to just register for gifts so anyone could just hop online to buy. Plus, you can register for gift cards to your favorite brands like Delta, Southwest, Hulu, Home Depot, and more. Or you can ask for funds for your honeymoon or towards a new home. The possibilities are endless. Zola's website also makes it easy to personalize your wedding website with all of your wedding details, including a frequently asked questions section. Because who wants to tell their cousin to their face that they can't bring their new internet girlfriend as his plus one, when you can just direct him to your frequently asked questions. To start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to Zola, that's Z-O-L-A dot com slash moms. Again, to start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry, go to Zola, that's Z-O-L-A dot com slash moms. Now back to the story. So we're at the point in the story where Russ has been convicted of his wife Betsy's murder. There's evidence pointing at other people and no one seems to care, at least no one that is on a jury. Back into this story, almost immediately after Russ was convicted of murdering his wife, Pam Hupp defunded the trust that she had set up for Betsy's daughters, which obviously looked shady in the eyes of Russ's attorney, Joel Schwartz. He believed that Pam had intended to keep that money all along and felt that he had the grounds to find an appeal with the court to ask for a hearing to go over what Pam had done with his life insurance money. In February of 2015, the motion was approved and a new judge would hear the evidence in this case. And just as a note, the prosecutor from Russ's first trial had told Pam that she felt this was a total waste of time and nothing more than a case of a bruised ego on Joel Schwartz's part. And not that maybe there could be something to this. But the judge disagreed and felt that there was a true case of injustice happening here, and he ruled to overturn Russ's conviction entirely and to grant him a new trial. Soon after, Russ was released on bond while prosecutors and detectives reinvestigated the case of Betsy's murder. As Joel Schwartz began to rewatch the police interviews with Pamela Hupp, he noted that she was very arrogant and very overconfident. 
He learned that Pam had asked a doctor to excuse her from taking a polygraph test due to quote unquote medical reasons, but there were no details given on what exactly would have prevented her from being able to take the test. Explain to me how you can have a doctor write you a note to get out of a polygraph test. Yeah. I mean, apparently she actually just went to a doctor that it wasn't her regular doctor, like that she had this ongoing relationship with. And she just said like, hey, can you write me a note that says I'm unable to complete a polygraph? And I guess the doctor was like, okay, I don't even know how that happens because that just seems like something that you could not get away with doing. Yeah. Can you not have things wrapped around your arm? Is that like what condition requires that? Because that's the only thing I can truly think of in my head that would prevent you from taking it. There's reasons to not take a polygraph, but a medical condition, maybe I just don't know enough about it. So it also came out in deposition that Pam had previously been fired from two different life insurance jobs for forging signatures. And of course, this is a huge red flag to Russ's attorney who already believed it was suspicious that Betsy would have signed her life insurance policy over to Pam without being conned into it. I also found that fascinating that she was had worked in life insurance policy. She knows how all this stuff works and, right. you know, knows how to, how, what, what needs to be done. So shortly after Russ's first trial, Joel Schwartz had begun to get numerous emails and phone calls alleging that Pam's mother had not in fact died of Alzheimer's. She had been showing signs of Alzheimer's, but what actually led to her death was a fall from a third floor balcony of the assisted living facility she was staying at. So the circumstances of the fall were really suspicious, where there was a total of six vertical rails that were either bent or busted out completely, but the horizontal top row was still intact. So just this one section of six of them were either bent or broken, and everything else was where it should be. So the elderly woman was actually found to have had eight times the typical dose of the sleeping medication Ambien in her system. And if you're at an assisted living facility, they're kind of in charge of giving you your medicine and stuff. So who's giving her eight times as much as she should have, right? you know, at this time? So Pam had actually spent the previous evening with her mom, according to the community manager, but told the staff at the facility that her mom wasn't feeling well, and so she would not be down for dinner or for breakfast the next morning. The woman was found dead the following day when a staff member went to check on her after she failed to come down for lunch. So when Joel Schwartz learns these details about Pam's mother's death, the only thing he could think was back to what Pam had said during that police interview, that if she wanted money, you know, this insurance money, she would just kill her mom. She would get more anyway. It was such a strange thing to say at the time, and it certainly looked even more strange now. So the question on his mind was, did Pam actually murder her own mother for life insurance too? This story is so bananas and just it's just out there, this things in this story. It's because you just sit here and you think like, who would do these things? Right. Well, I saw this story on Dateline years ago, right? So when Russ went to trial, I saw it. And that's where the story ends on Dateline. And this is why you should always watch the Dateline follow-ups. Um, so it ends with Russ going to prison and claiming that he's innocent. And later they have to do this whole new thing because that's not where it ends at all. So a short time after Russ was released from prison, Pam came out with this other bombshell piece of information. And she told the detectives that were working the case that she and Betsy had actually been having a romantic affair. And this was something that she had never once mentioned in interviews before Russ's first trial. So she's alleging that Russ found out about this affair and it caused a lot of friction between him and Betsy. 
She further claimed that Russ had physically confronted her and held her against a wall, screaming in her face, threatening to kill her if he ever caught Pam and Betsy together again. When it came time for Russ's trial, it was more of the same. Prosecutors believed he would be convicted a second time, only this time the judge would get to hear all the facts involving Pam. Before Russ's second trial, investigators finally found that mysterious typed letter that Pam had been going on and on about. Just as Pam said, the letter from Betsy outlined this rocky marriage that she had with her husband, her fears over her children being cared for, and this idea to sign over her life insurance to Pam. However, a computer expert analyzed the document and came to the conclusion that it would have been nearly impossible for Betsy to have been the one to author this letter. It was the only document on her computer that said author unknown. So I don't know, you're like an Apple person, so I don't know how Apple people you know, how their documents are stored. You have an (laughs) iPhone now, so please don't pretend you're not one of us. So I have, you know, a regular person computer. (laughs) So whenever you, whenever I do Word documents, it says like the, you know, my name, like whenever it says like who, you know, wrote this, it'll say like my name as the author of it. So they were saying that on Betsy's computer, all of hers, of course, said Betsy Faria was the author of all these documents, except for this one that they found, which just said author unknown. So the computer expert said that likely meant that this was fake and it had been composed on an entirely different computer and then planted on Betsy's laptop, probably without her knowledge. Crazy. Russ's attorney took a gamble on the second trial and opted for a trial by judge and wanted to just forego having a jury entirely, which was a risky move, but it was one that the defense team felt confident with. This case is one that I actually think makes a lot of sense to go up to with a judge. There's just I do too. so much there. And if the judge is hearing all of it, like there's no way you can't can look at this and not at least think like, you know, there's not beyond a reasonable doubt. There's just no way you can say beyond a reasonable doubt, this guy is guilty. But I can see how with a jury it can get a little convoluted. But this is one of the first times I've ever thought like, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I thought it was actually very smart for them to go that route with the second time. Once the judge heard all the facts in the case, he was ready to deliver a new verdict. And he found that Russ was not guilty of the crime of killing his wife and further stated that he found that the details of the investigation into the murder were disturbing. Yes, they were. So Russ was finally a free man, but shockingly, this story is not over yet. I feel like this is one of those cases where you're just like, but wait, there's more. Like every single time you think it's coming. Yeah, like every time you think it's coming to an end, it is not over yet. In the following months, Russ tried to regain a sense of normalcy. Several lawsuits were filed. Russ filed a lawsuit against the county as well as the prosecutor, and Betsy's daughters sued Pam over the life insurance policy that their mother had clearly intended for them. When Pam went on trial for that lawsuit, she had turned very nasty and claimed that these girls were not legally entitled to any of that money, and in the end, she was actually allowed to keep all of it because the paperwork was legitimate and there was nothing really that they could do. It was so sad. Such a monster. For them. Yeah. So months passed, and in August of 2015, Russ's father called him with some very interesting news. Pam Hupp had shot a man named Louis Gumpenberger in her home. So police responded to this quiet neighborhood after a call had come in for a burglary in progress. The woman on the other end, who turned out to be Pam, told the operator that someone was trying to break into her house, and while she was on the call, she apparently ran to her bedroom, retrieved her gun, and shot the intruder. Police located a note in the man's pocket along with $900 in cash. The note seemed to indicate that there was 
like a murder for hire plot to kill Pam. The obvious thought process for some was that Russ had been so disgruntled over what Pam had tried to pin on him before that he had hired a hitman to exact his revenge. Russ met with the police willingly and these people that were investigating this new murder and submitted writing samples from both of his hands for analysis. So he was like, yeah, whatever you need, let's just be done with this. Although how nervous has he got to be? Because my gosh, oh my gosh, already pinned something, you know, something's already yes. been pinned on me. So a week later, the police chief held a press conference in which they announced some really big news. Pamela Hupp had set this innocent man up and lured him to his death. But the way she pulled it off was even more insane than you could possibly imagine. Police learned from another woman in Pam's neighborhood that just six days before she shot Lewis, she had been approaching other people in the area posing as a Dateline producer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This is so outrageous. It's like you can't even believe that it's real and that she actually did this. Yeah. And she was trying to recruit them to come to her home and to record a soundbite for an upcoming Dateline show regarding 911 calls. She told one woman that she would be given a script and promised her $1,000 which is not a Dateline thing to do. So the (laughs) woman rejected the offer when Pam failed to be able to provide any proof that she worked for Dateline, but it's believed that she actually used the same hook to bait Lewis to her home. The mother of Lewis's son told police that Lewis had actually suffered a severe brain injury following a car accident and that he could have really been easily persuaded by Pam's story and the promise of a payout. This whole thing just is so incredibly sad to me. Like, thinking that you're getting this payout for this thing and trusting this person and thinking, you know, this is all a good thing and to have this happen to you. I, I just don't understand it. I don't understand murder in general, but I this is really upsetting. So police believe she actually approached him with this idea and he happily obliged and went to the home where she shot him and staged a scene to look like a murder for hire against herself set up by Russ. So, what? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I just can't. There's nothing to even say about any of this. Like, don't you feel like at this point you would just be laying low? Like, clearly you've got the insurance money, lady. Just, like, lay low. Don't don't try and do any more. It's insane. So when the police took a closer look at the money found in Lewis's pocket, they realized that the serial numbers lined up perfectly with cash that Pam had in her own bedroom. I guess it must have been in succession um, yeah. the numbers. So obviously it came from her pocketbook or whatever pocketbook i'm too young to say pocketbook her purse it just it can't yeah it can't. <laughs> so it was clear that she pulled this off in her own attempt to frame russ for another murder pam was charged with first degree murder in the case of lewis gumpenberger within an hour of her arrest pam stabbed herself in the neck and wrist with a pen obviously trying to hurt herself Yeah, they said that they did not feel that it was a serious attempt on her own life. Like, they thought it was more of just, like, a temper tantrum. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is quite a temper tantrum. (laughs) So she was fine and would be made to stand trial for the Gumpenberger murder. She entered a not guilty plea stating that she did not kill the man, but it was self-defense. So the trial was originally scheduled to begin in September of 2017, but it was postponed. And she has still not gone to trial in that murder case, nor has she been charged in the murder of Betsy Faria, nor the suspected murder of her mother, Shirley Newman, although the manner of death in that case was changed from accidental to undetermined. Yeah, so they did like this whole thing. They had this engineer do these tests to figure out if her mom could have actually 
fallen through those rails on the balcony. And it was pretty much determined that no, the force of a person falling, like those things are meant to stand up to that kind of thing. They have to be. Yeah. And so, but they were saying that like there would, it was all very scientific. They outlined a lot of this in the Dateline follow-up episode. You know, I'm not a science person. Basically, they said, no, it's not possible. Somebody, like there would have to be a lot of force put behind those railings to get them to pop out like that. that. That would not just happen by an old woman tripping and falling by accident. They have it at an assisted living facility. Like they're going to have the safest things for, you know, the people that are there because they're maybe more accident prone. They're they're older. It's going to have to be as safe as possible in that facility. Right. So for them to be six to be pop, it just doesn't make any sense. So for now, Pam Hub is behind bars where she belongs. And we will, of course, keep you guys updated if anything happens, because how is this still going on? And none of the trials have really even started. And my gosh, there's just so much to this. And so many people have been hurt by this woman and poor Betsy's kids and her husband. Like, it was just, what a monster. Honestly, what a monster. She is definitely a monster, but I think some of it, like the craziest part for me was that if you listen to people or read anything that anyone said about her who had interacted with her or known her, you know, throughout life, they all said that she was a very nice person, a very hard worker. She had a really good work ethic. She was always, you know, she always showed up to work on time or early and she did her job, you know, well and that she was friendly and she was outgoing and, you know, Nobody ever said, you know, yeah, we always thought Pam was a little off. You know, everyone said that they thought she was just a nice, normal person. So that's the stuff that scares me on these stories because you just feel like you don't even know people. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can tell you on the record that I'm never going to do that. So (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you can go back to this audio later. I definitely would not do anything like this. But yeah, no, this was this was one of the interesting ones, like I was saying about that Dateline, to have seen it. And then when they're like, oh, Dateline update, and you're like, oh, okay, maybe I'll watch it. It's kind of a rerun. But the it, it takes on to a whole different two new cases. Like, it's just so much more. And a good reminder, like we talked about before, that not to jump the gun on people. Even her, she's technically innocent until proven guilty. Like, you just don't know. There's obviously a lot of evidence, you know, behind her and everything. Um, but that's a reason why we have our jury system, why we have our judicial system, and to let that kind of fall where they may. And don't judge people's 911 calls. I feel like I've definitely yeah. done that. Just people grieve differently. People react differently. And we don't know. We're not professionals. Yeah, for sure. So that was just a very crazy story. And we are definitely going to do some last thing before we goes. I think we have a couple of really good ones this week. But before we do that, I actually was contacted by a longtime friend of mine that I have known. I think I met her in a parenting group or like baby center forum or something years ago when I was pregnant. And we've followed each other on Facebook for a long time. Her name is Chelsea. And she wrote to us and told us that she has been listening to the show and just absolutely loves it. And she got her sister who is a new mom listening to it. And they kind of bond with each other over they talk about our episodes and everything so crazy to me I don't know what the two of them are doing but they like the show and Chelsea wanted to give her sister Ashley a big shout out on our show so hey Ashley thank you so much for listening we really appreciate it I'm so glad you guys like it Melissa is there anything you want to (laughs) say hi Ashley thanks for listening and all the things that Mandy said hi both of you All right. Now we're going to do our last thing before we go. If you guys have been listening to the show for a while, then you know we do this quick. Well, sometimes it's not so quick. almost never. (laughs) So we answer a couple of questions that listeners have sent in to us. It's 
all nonsense. It is nothing about murder. It is nothing about crime. It's just a little palate cleanser. (laughs) Yeah, that is the point. So if you don't want to listen to it, you can skip it and move on to the next thing in your life. But we are going to do them now. So Melissa, Nicole R. wants to know, what bad habits do we have? Oh, um, let's see. My bad habits. I Okay, so I'm boring. So I don't really have – I don't think I have like <laughs> crazy bad habits. I'm very, very boring. I drink Diet Coke like it's really just a problem. And I'm having to come off of it and I'm so miserable and I hate it so much. And um, and I watch reality TV. I do not call either of those bad habits. They are habits in my life, and they bring me happiness. So you know what? I just have habits. I don't have bad habits. There's nothing wrong with oh. what I do. <laughs> and my husband does not hate the reality shows that I watch all the time. But yes, he does. All right, Mandy, what do you have? <laughs> uh, I bite my fingernails. And it's like the worst. And I have tried so many times to just stop biting my fingernails. And I just can't. I don't know what it is. Like, I can have fake nails and they don't bother me. And I I like it. But as soon as my real nails get a little bit of length to them, I'm ready to just chew them off. And it's a terrible, dirty, nasty habit. But it's what I do. That's mine. I pick mine, though. Like, I peel them like but I don't I do too I peel like the skin around Ooh, them no. and like Ooh. like you know like you're <laughs> I'm actually my fingers hurt now okay you're, we you're can move on yeah, that's yours, right. yours is actually upsetting I'm very proud of mine now <laughs> I'm just kidding okay okay Heather F wants to know if we were brought in for a crime that we did not commit would we get a lawyer immediately anyways oh a hundred percent yeah, 100%. for sure. <laughs> We've watched too much of this stuff and talked too much about it to not just be like, I want a lawyer. Even though I know that like when you go to a jury, they're always like, oh, they asked for a jury immediately. No, because I know my rights. Thank you very much. I know my rights. Give me a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, OK, that's the whole thing with me, too. Like, I am aware that I'm an idiot and will probably say and do things that make me look terrible. Oh so gosh. I want a lawyer to tell me not to do to these tell things. You to shut up. And I... <laughs> Yes, before things get out of hand or even have a chance to get out of hand, I want a lawyer behind me telling me just to keep my mouth shut. So I would 100% hire a lawyer, especially if it was like a serious crime and they're like trying to like, like, for instance, if they suspected me in a murder, I definitely want a lawyer right away. Like you need somebody who knows what they're doing for you, especially in that case. Um, Like don't try to go it alone just so you can look better. And my memory is terrible. So uh, my story could change accidentally just in the matter of being in an interrogation room. My memory is just bad. And you can convince me of things because my memory is so bad. (laughs) They're like, wait, no, you were there. I'd be like, well, I guess. I don't remember. So yeah, I'm no good with anything like that. Okay. And then one more really quick. This one shouldn't take long. Lindsay O wants to know what do or did we call our grandparents growing up? All right. What do you have? So my mom's parents were grandma and grandpa, and my dad's parents were Papa and Ganny. And I love my Ganny. She's the sweetest. She lives like 15 minutes from me, and I see her like at least once a week. Oh, I love and your Ganny too. Yeah, she's the best. Um, my dad's parents were granny and grandpa. I don't really remember my dad's mom very much. She died whenever I was really young. And then my mom's parents were Papa and Kika, and... I think I'm the only person to have a kikaw, but apparently <laughs> I couldn't say grandma whenever I was little and I said kikaw and my grandma was like, absolutely, let's do that. I don't like grandma. <laughs> and so it became kikaw and even she died um, 14 years ago 
and no more than that. What sixteen years ago this year, and um, even on her tombstone it says it says Kika forever in our hearts. So that's always special to me, and I adored her, and I miss her so much. So that didn't actually end up being as happy for me, Mandy. <laughs> yeah. Here so what about your kids? Do your kids use any of the same names for them? Because mine don't. So my kids have um, Mimi and Pa and Gigi and Papa. My parents are Gigi and Papa, and my parent, my husband's parents are Mimi and Pa. Yeah. So my husband's parents are Grammy and Granddad, and then my mom is Nana, and my father's passed away, but he went by Pop Pop whenever he was around. So they were all different. I don't have. There's so many names for grandparents out there, so we just listed a whole bunch of them. Yeah. So, so if you're looking for options, <laughs> we've given you all of them. Yeah. But my father-in-law wanted my daughter to call him Granddad so bad because that's what his dad was called and she just like fought it the whole time so he became pa like i don't even know how she ended up doing that but i've always loved that like he was just like say granddad and she was like pa <laughs> and so Aww. then he just became pa Awesome. All right. So that is it for last thing before we go. Uh, just a quick reminder, we will be at CrimeCon this year in New Orleans. It is June 7th 8th and 9th. If you guys want to come out and see us there, we will be there along with some Awesome podcast. Generation Y is going to be there. Criminology, Someone Knows Something, Trace Evidence, Date with Dateline, which we just absolutely love, especially Melissa. She's obsessed with them. Okay, um, but they so- know I'm obsessed, so it's not as creepy. But yeah. So if you guys want to go to that, um, you can get 10% off of your standard badge when you use our code M&M19. And so yeah, we hope to see you guys there. We are so excited about CrimeCon this year. And the closer it gets, the more nervous I get, but also excited, super excited. Yeah, it'll be great. And the whole Dateline team is going to be there, which is why I had serious FOMO last year. They're going to be there, and um, we're super excited about that. And before we go, we are going to be running a promo for our friend Lindsay with the Mugshot podcast. Mugshot is more of a – it's not murder. So it's true crime, but it's the heist. It's the um, robberies, stuff like that. And she has a really good voice, and – That sounds creepy, but it's really good, and she does a really great job with research, so make sure you check that out. Bye, guys. Have a good week. Bye. You've heard the stories of bloody murder and horrendous homicide. But what about the rest of the crimes people fall victim to every day? What about the forensic chemist who falsified evidence? Or the con man who pretended to be a surgeon? What happened to the rich men who kidnapped an entire bus of children? Who are the fraudsters, arsonists, bank robbers, drug lords, and more? I'm Lindsay, the host of Mugshot. Mugshot is a true crime podcast that brings you the non-murderous crimes you didn't know you needed to hear. Season two started in January of 2019, so come and join me by searching for Mugshot on your favorite podcatcher. Until then, stay out of trouble, or you may end up pictured in your very own mugshot. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com, where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars, because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.